Hola, this is Enrique Morones with Gente Unida and another podcast as we do every Tuesday with either a buen, mom, buen hombre or magnificent mujer. And we have a wonderful buen hombre this week, a good friend and somebody that if you don't know, you should get to know because he's done a lot of wonderful things, not only for the San Diego region, but across California. And that's Senator Ben Wessel, live from Sacramento. Senator, good to see you. How are you doing? Good to see you too, Enrique, and hello to all the viewers and listeners out there. Yeah, hello. So, as you might recall uh, from doing some of the other shows I've been involved with, whether it was Morones por la Tarde, or on the record with Enrique and our friend Ralph, or yeah. that hombre, I've had a lot of different types of shows. I usually like to begin the interview with having the person introduce themselves. So, maybe you could tell us a little bit about growing up in uh, Logan Heights having gone to Point Loma High School, San Diego State, UCLA, <laughs> your career, councilman, you know, assembly, senate, and your future, and a little bit of background before we get into the future. Maybe you could introduce yourself. Who is Ben Wessel? Thank you very much. And I always uh, talk about my, my dad, Jesus Wessel, who came to San Diego, California in 1949 uh, because his father was involved in an accident. He came looking for economic opportunities, and of course he he became a U.S. citizen in 1952 and started raising his family there in, in uh, San Diego. And uh, I'm the eighth of nine children that he had. I was born and raised in Logan Heights. I got a chance to go to parochial school at Our Lady, of, uh, Our Lady School and, and went to high school Point Loma, graduated, went to UCLA. I got a chance to study at the University of, of, of Ukraine in Odessa. And... Uh, also, I uh, graduated from San Diego State from an economic development. Uh, you know, I had forgot about that, about the Ukraine part. That's, that's fascinating. And we're both alums of Our Lady of Angels, because I'm old. Yeah. We called Our Lady of Angels yeah. back then, because they were two separate schools. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry? I said, <laughs> Tell me a little bit about uh, Ukraine. How, how did you end up in Ukraine? University of, of Odessa, and I, I studied Rus Russian language, but it gave me a chance to, yeah, I'm sorry, but it was at the University of, uh, I, it was an exchange program while I was at UCLA, and I took that opportunity to travel to Europe, and I got, I got to go to uh, six different countries. What back then was the Soyuz Sovietsky Socialistische Republic, also known as the USSR, which no longer exists. But that's incredible. I got to go to Russia a few years ago. I've always been a fan of uh, traveling okay. and I was always interested in going to Russia. And I went with my uh, ex-girlfriend uh, three or four years ago. And I really enjoyed, I know Ukraine is not Russia, but I enjoyed being in that part of the world. And there's nothing better than actually getting to know the people from various parts of the world. So you find out how they, re how they really are. Because as you always said, people yeah. everywhere are wonderful, and it's great to be able to go to those countries. Mm -hmm. so that was a unique opportunity to go to school over there. And your Russian, I don't speak Russian, but your Russian sounds fluent, very fluent. Hopefully you'll be, you're, you're able to use that somewhat. Yeah. In do. I, I had a rough childhood growing up in a, in a tough neighborhood. Uh, you know, uh, and, um, you know, my father was a very active person in the community. He was uh, working for the neighborhood house. He had his own business, but also uh, at night he worked at, at, at some of the nicest restaurants in San Diego as uh, a maitre d'. He was at Lou Box. He was at uh, the 
the Belly High restaurant. He worked at several restaurants, the Kona Kai. And my father was a very hardworking man, but he always found time to help his community. And we were raised kind of sometimes missing our dad and their families in the community and doing so many things for other people. But we kind of resented that, but after many years, and learned me to public service. One of the times with, with other families, clothes, you have food, you have shelter. There's so many other families. Family are the most important thing to me, but our community, and it, and it, uh, it had left a lasting impression. Well, he did a really good job because I know uh, some of and your those are some of the values that my father taught me where I believe my community is also my family. And you've been an outstanding so, member of the community. I Dedicated. worked very hard to follow my dad's footsteps. And I also continue a program that he started when he was in, in the neighborhood house to do a turkey giveaway every November. And every year we've done a turkey giveaway just to honor my dad's legacy. And, and uh, this past year we gave away a thousand uh, turkeys plus meals for a thousand families uh, in our district. And we always try to do that every, every single year. And it's just one of the, the most important uh, things that we do for me because I, we do it in honoring and remembering the work of my father in the community. So I wanna continue working hard to serve the families of, of our community. And, and it's, it's been an enormous, enormous honor to work for them through this position and come up here and fight and advocate for them and what's good for them. And uh, we've done so much in terms of providing thousands of afford quality affordable housing units for the people of our district. The Mercado Project, COM22, Berbena, there's just so many projects that I can name that are just wonderful, high quality. The Casa Familiar Project, the Villanueva Apartments, I remember walking there and the people said, please help us. And we helped them to the tune of $25 million makeover, a total of $75 million that was invested in that project that really has settled so many uh, complaints that were there and has improved their quality of life. Now they have a library, a community center, a park. And, and just I, I could just think of so many wonderful things that we've done that I'm so pr proud of that, you know, our system of government has allowed me to to channel those resources into our community and we just have a wonderful system and it requires hard work but i'm used to hard work one of the things i was raised doing is working very hard from a very young age my first job my first business i started when i was 12 and one was a car wash and the other one at the same age was a newspaper out that i started in my neighborhood i started walking door to door every morning at 4 30 in the in the morning I had to deliver the paper by 6 a.m. That was the rule. Wow. And, and if it wasn't delivered by 6 a.m., I got what you called a service error. And that, was docu that docketed my pay. And, and, and if my bike got a flat, they didn't care. If uh, it was raining or there was a storm or if I was sick, you couldn't have a sick day. I never had a sick day. I never spent, uh, missed a day from doing my route because if I did, the paper didn't get delivered. And so uh, I, I dedicated myself for three years doing that. And I, I've always had a job. I've always earned income because, uh, you know, my, I, I wanted a better haircut. My father gave me a haircut two times a year. So you can imagine I either had a big, huge head, full head of hair or I was bald. Uh -huh. And I, I hated going to school that day. I got my haircut because I was bald and people laughed at me and said, you know what? 
I'm going to make money and I'm going to get my own haircut one day and I'm going to buy my own shoes and I'm going to buy my own clothes because I'm, I'm just tired of being made fun of, you know, and, and it built, it built character. There's no doubt, but also getting a job early in life helped get me uh, working on my, on my work experience and, and, uh, you know, building a hard work ethic. And I brought that work ethic to politics. I get up early every day and I go to work for the people of, my district and the people of California, making sure that we're doing everything that we can. There's just so much work to do. There's just so much. You can't do it all. And we're, we're trying to do a lot. And, and uh, the more we can do, I think the more, I hope the more people will appreciate our efforts. But more than anything else, it's for the benefit of us all. It benefits me, it benefits my kids, it benefits you, it benefits us all. It's for the benefit of all of us. And that's how I see my work and, and, and hope that we can uh, strengthen California. But since I've got elected, this is a different California since the one I was elected in, and I'm very proud of that. It's a different California, and we're living in different times. Uh, just recently, we had the naming of a, the presidential, the vice presidential, presumptive vice presidential candidate in Kamala Harris, somebody that you know, yeah. somebody that I've had the, the privilege of also meeting. Tell us a little bit about her and what you think about that ticket. Biden Harris. She she is a very courageous woman. As as Attorney General, she uh, took on the interests of consumers with a passion. Uh, she's an extremely bright woman. She's brilliant. She's a great selection. I mean, it does. I'll tell you why I think it's a fascinating and a great selection because it it's out of, uh, unusual to pick a vice president for a Democrat to pick a vice president from California because a a, a Democratic candidate is going to win California. I think she brings much more than the state of California. She is extremely articulate. She has wonderful ideas, and I think she's going to communicate well with all the American public in every, every state. She's a fighter. She's a champion. She's extremely intelligent, and I think that is going to really help the Biden ticket enormously. She's going to bring a youthful exuberance to this campaign. She's going to She's going to outpace Pence in the debates. He will not be able to handle her in the debates. Let me tell you, it's going to be wonderful to see that. Yeah, she's a wonderful debater. Uh, very, very strong, very intelligent, as you mentioned. I've met her when we've been protesting at the Otay detention facility. She would come down and, and support of us, support us that we're fighting for immigrant rights like you've always done. We're facing two unique challenges, diseases right now at the same time racism and COVID. And uh, this COVID situation is something that was not anticipated. Uh, how are we handling it? What, what's going on and how is that affecting our community, the Latino community? It, we, I don't think we're ha handling it in the best way, but at the same time, it's an enormous challenge. It's, it's hard to find anybody that's handling it well. And it doesn't help to have, to have started this whole campaign with a with a with a with a leader that has been just generally telling people to do all the wrong things, take hydroxychloroquine, bad idea. Let's look at uh, ingesting ammonia and chloride, bad idea. Don't wear masks, bad idea. Everything uh, the president has started with has basically added fuel to this pandemic, uh, uh, to the fire of this pandemic. It's, it's created a political de debate when we need leadership in uniting the country. It is that his message has reached California. 
And immediately, as soon as we started to quarantine, we started to see dissenters from his side of the aisle uh, protesting out in the street and uh, protesting the quarantine. Even if we saw signs that the quarantine was, was having a positive effect, those, those protests sparked other protests that people copied that style in regards to the police brutality. And now we're having both, right? We're having police brutality protests, quarantine protests, mass protests, that it's, it's infecting the process which, where people should be in agreement that we should have a way to handle this. But California has responded to the best uh, we could, allocating a billion dollars to fighting the pandemic, moving fast to create infrastructure and a hospital care network. And now we have one-day testing at the border. Uh, lots more facilities and, and uh, doctors have been brought in to support areas that have been hard hit. So when we have doctors that have a low uh, uh, incidence of COVID, we're moving those to areas where we have higher incidence of COVID to provide support to the doctors and the healthcare community uh, so they can combat higher uh, quantities. So California has been doing well in terms of providing treatment to everybody that needs it. Our death mortality rates are, going, are skyrocketing. That's of enormous concern. I've been putting a lot of pressure uh, on the governor to do more in, in, the, in the border area. Uh, recently, we had a victory this week in, in getting him to add Imperial as a priority area, Imperial County, which he had not even recognized as a high uh, uh, need area. And that, that's an area where the hospitals were completely overrun, where we had more cases than they could treat, where they started to move people to the neighboring counties. And, and that shouldn't have happened. We should have been able to move enough resources there to provide support to the hospital. But now uh, ha having him uh, having uh, him made that decision to include Imperial County is going to change things there in my district. And I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for the governor finally decided to do that, but also for Senator Dianne Feinstein for, for, for providing the support in, in, uh, in helping with that. Yes, the, uh, and, then, and then we got to always acknowledge and thank the frontline workers, whether it's people in the medical field or the farm workers or those people that are the blue collar workers that often are forgotten. Now we're realizing how much value they bring every day, every day. And it's those hardworking people like your dad, like my dad. He also came here because of the economic situation. He was a very hardworking man. And he was a great example to me, like your father was to you. And uh, it's, it's so important that we have uh, these examples in our lives. And one of the things that, that I've been dealing a lot with, that you might have seen some of the op-eds I've written, is equity within the Latino community. How oftentimes we, the Latino community, which is the largest ethnic community in the country, we're 35% just here in San Diego County, aren't represented the way that we should be. A lot of times, other communities are overrepresented, and I support all communities. I support them all. But let's work in an equitable manner because, like when I was in professional baseball, you might recall, I was always talking to the people at, at, at the headquarters how come there's not more people of color in senior executive positions? Because unless you have people of color and women in those positions, you're not going to think of the communities uh, because you're not one of those members of the community. So that's something that I'm very adamant about and something that we really need to have change. And also 
something where I'm promoting the fact that we need to work together, especially this year, because on November 3rd, we got to get out there and vote. This is the most important election of our entire lifetime. And we need to be out there at the polls voting on November 3rd. Absolutely. The last four years have been a complete disaster in leadership from, from Washington. Unfortunately, if you see, I, I don't know what problems this administration solved, but I can name several that they've made worse. And so, yes, I would encourage people to go out and vote and really look at this election at all levels because there'll be a lot of things happening across the state and in your community that will be very important to, to look at. And we wanna make sure that our community is representative equitably in all facets, in all facets, and that's something that you in your political career and in the future of your political career could really help out with, making sure everybody gets fair representation. And one of the uniquenesses that we have here, and you've been a leader in this, is the binational relationship with Mexico. Here yeah. we are, the most powerful economic state in the United States, the fifth most powerful economy in the world, and we're right next to another very powerful place, which happens to be the country of Mexico. Yeah. So how is that binational relationship going? And how is your work reflecting the binational region? Enrique, if you don't mind me mention a little bit more about diversity and how we're diversifying boards and commissions at the state, because I think it's important that I kind of share what we've done and that people know that from the time I got elected, uh, you know, I've been able to uh, put myself in important leadership positions, including chairman of the Latino Caucus and, and a member of the caucus, which has, has become very influential here in California. One of our, the first goals that we set out to do was to diversify the boards and commissions of the state of California. And anytime there was a proposal, we insert ourselves into that decision-making process and advocated for for Latinos, so to, for a Latino to be added to the state Supreme Court, for Lat Latinas to be added to the PUC, every single commission, every group, we, we work to make sure we diversify. One of the things that I found when I first got elected, that the Judicial Council, this is the judicial branch of government, and I, I always remind everybody that we have co-equal branches, executive, legislative, and judicial, Oftentimes, there isn't really a good process to allow the voters to participate in the judicial process to elect uh, a person of color, and that's it's it's a it's something that needs to be reformed in our system. But uh, through the legislature, we do appoint members to the judicial council, which was created in 1932. And since 1932, when I got elected, there were only 11 people since 1932 that were Latino in a board that is about 32 people strong. So think about a 32 member board that has only had 11 Latinos up to 2010. And of course we changed that by starting to uh, work hard to, to fill those positions. But I mean, you could find that in almost every boarding commission at the state level. Uh, when I became chair of the caucus, I started working with my colleagues of the Asian caucus and the black caucus. LGBT caucus to and the women's caucus to advocate for for our interests and in making sure that we're more well represented in all areas of California's uh, society and schools and government and corporate boards. Jackson, as the chair of the women's caucus, introduced a bill that 
we, we work together to pass that will put more women on corporate boards. And this year, Holden, uh, the chair of the Black Caucus, uh, uh, when I worked with him, introduced 979 that we voted on today. And in that, that bill today, we're going to introduce more uh, people of color uh, and, and a broad spectrum that in all corporate boards in California. So maybe we could back, get you uh, back with the Padres, but this time on their corporate board as, a, as an income earning member organization. <laughs> That was a bad joke, Eric. I'm sorry about that, but <laughs> yeah, but but honestly, uh, you know, uh, oftentimes we have highly qualified people that have had uh, made great impacts in our community that are not invited to serve on those lucrative boards, uh, and and oftentimes they're just excuses that are made. Now we're going to have along the book, and I hope the governor signs it, uh, requiring corporate California corporations to diversify their boards. Uh, if I can just mention. You're familiar with NASCO and Barrio Logan. Uh, one of the, it's currently the largest shipbuilding company in the United States. They have uh, another uh, company in North Carolina that is also very big. And I believe their other one is in Asia and Malaysia and one of those uh, countries up there, I think it's Malaysia. They consistently, year after year, NASCO San Diego outperforms their other uh, yards. And they commissioned a study to find out why it was. And they found that San Diego's high performance was attributed to their diversity. They had a better diversity of ideas. And the better diversity of ideas led to better problem solving. So if this is good for a company's performance, why isn't diversity used as a performance tool in improving a uh, uh, any company's performance. And this is the California style st uh, story. We're the most prosperous state in the world. We're number one most prosperous state in the world. And because we're a diverse state and the diversity of ideas leads to innovation. And we're hoping that uh, California cor corporations make a commitment to themselves to be more innovative and be more inclusive and uh, involve better ideas in solving problems associated with their mission to to do better and so but it also will help to spread the wealth in our community involve us in, in uh, participating in the American dream absolutely and that diversity is so important when you look at COVID worldwide for example the countries that are doing the best are countries that are led by women you know you look at New Zealand and Germany and and some of these countries you're going, yeah, the diversity was gender. For example, the countries that are led by women are doing the best in the fight against COVID. As far as diversity issues because of ethnicity, like you said, NASCO is a good example of doing it in the correct manner. And we need to do more of that. And uh, County Board of Supervisors, for example, for the longest time, five Republicans, no diversity. We need to make changes there. And it's so important that we have people that look like us in those senior positions and that they, they actually uh, work in the benefit of everybody, but taking that diversity into account. And that's something that's really important for us. But how about the Mexico-California relationship? Well, thank and you for asking. You're so active in that. In a yeah, process. one of the first things I did uh, when I got elected to the council in San Diego was reach out to our neighboring city, our sister city, Tijuana, and offered uh, to participate in the problem-solving process of issues related to the border that we share. 
and they offered to appoint me to their local city of Tijuana binational uh, committee. And I was a member of that committee, an actual voting member back in Tijuana, and we brought up a lot of issues that helped uh, uh, put several projects on a pathway for approval, including the CBX border cross crossing, uh, including uh, two new pedestrian crossings that ha we have uh, cited along the border, and uh, uh, investments made on the border, nearly a billion dollars of investments that, ha that have helped to reduce border wait times. Uh, the construction of SR11 is one of those projects is still in the works. And uh, dealing with the Tijuana River Valley as well. I, as soon as I got elected to the legislature, I was appointed chairman of the California Select Committee on California-Mexico Binational Affairs. And I've been the chair the, the entire time that I've been here in Sacramento, uh, working to resolve problems between our, our countries. And in that, I've, I've had, a, you know, had a direct line with the president of each president of Mexico in, in uh, addressing some concerns that have been raised over those years. And, and they have been very responsive and refined and helping to solve those problems. Right now, we're working very hard on uh, solving the Tijuana River Valley and the Salton Sea problems that are associated with the new river, Salton Sea. And we're making enormous amounts of progress on both issues. I, uh, right now, the only, one of the only bills I have left deals with that, creating a binational watershed management program with Mexico, in which they have agreed to follow up with legislation on their side of the country should our legislation pass. And they have made a commitment to work to create a long-term strategy to deal with the outflows associated with the Tijuana River Valley. So we... You know, uh, we share a binational economy, we share a binational culture and community, and we need to be working together because we, we only will help make our straight, our region safer, improve our economy, improve our environment by just working together. And it requires being able to reach out and communicate and establish important relationships that will lead to helping us solve these problems. They're big problems, Enrique. None, none of them are simple. You know, the, 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 the border uh, problems are very complicated. They're complex. They're even uh, exacerbated by poor, bad policy come out, coming out of Washington that is just making matters worse. And there always seems to be an enormous fire that seems to be fueled by, by uh, a, a misunderstanding of the current situation facing our borders. And, and it's only making matters worse. So locally, we, we have a lot to gain by getting engaged, setting an example, and bringing up those issues that are most important to our regions, and hopefully Washington will pay attention. Yes, it is so important that we have these relationships, like what you're doing, by actually being uh, on the team down there when they're making decisions, being on the team here, getting to know each other, and not looking down on anybody, looking eye to eye as equal partners on how can we solve these issues. As you know, that's Absolutely. one of my passions, whether it is the, you know, my founding of the House of Mexico, which you have helped us with, and we're closer than ever to, to having the house. My work on, you know, on the border against the wall, I want security, but in a humanitarian way. And how about Friendship Park? Next year is the 50th anniversary. I've been going there forever since I used to be a, a distance runner at St. Augustine, and we train on the beach down there sometimes. 
I guarantee you, we're going to open up that door again, like I had done six times before, so families could embrace. Because that treating of our neighbors as equal partners, with love, with respect, it goes both ways instead of just attacking and, and talking down. Because these issues, as you mentioned, are binational issues. And let's work together in solving these, these issues. And we're going to be having a, a very big year with the election, with uh, with the virus that that you know it, it we will we will dance again we will be able to sing again this virus will be solved eventually but we gotta follow the advice of the doctors and one of the things that you're big on is education and so what do you think about some of these people that are saying go back to school uh in, instead of following the advice of the medical field yeah i say i want to follow what dr fauci is saying i have my mask i maintain <laughs> social distance I, I, I follow their guidelines, nobody else's. This is not something you want to be political about. This is something where you need to use common sense because if you're making a statement and not wearing the mask, it affects other people. If it was just you, okay. But that's not, so what about this situation about the schools where some people are saying, come back to school, and you're saying, this is just not safe. And I believe that the schools need to have, if they're going to bring back the, the children and, and the teachers, they need to have a plan. And that's something that needs to be resolved within every school district, depending on the level of the risk. In San Diego, we have a high level of risk. In Imperial County, we have a high level of risk. In Los Angeles, generally, we, we have the highest level of risk. And so it's going to affect every part of the state differently. Uh, I would hope in areas of low-level risk that they can re, re go back to school if possible, because that's very important for kids that they continue to socialize and continue to interact with their teachers directly. Uh, uh, families are under a lot of stress right now. My kids are under a lot of stress quarantining. It's been very, very difficult on my family. So as I hear from people uh, concerned about a, a prolonged quarantine, I'm concerned as well. We need to bring this to an end. We're doing everything that we can. I, you know, we have a 120-member legislature. Everybody's doing everything that they can. I don't know that there's a member that's not giving it his or her 100% effort to, to work with our community and work with the governor. I think the governor is just working night and day. His staff, uh, even his staff, is one, one staff, uh, staffer had a, had a complete breakdown because of the, the, the really hard working environment here uh, in this this year has just posed such a hard working environment for, for our employees. And they're working so hard seven days a week, literally seven days a week. I mean, I've been, I've been working seven days a week. Uh, everybody has, uh, but you know, the, the stakes are very high. People's lives are at stake. And, and I think there's a tremendous concern, everybody involved for the public's health and welfare. And, and uh, I hope this ends soon. It looks like there's a downward trend starting to happen. And gosh, I hope that continues. It's a challenge like no other. And we got to use intelligence. And, and, and we got to be on the side of safety. We can't risk having another uh, epidemic here in, the, in, in San Diego or anywhere in California or across the country. As we're, as we're getting there, to... If I could just add, Rebecca, there is no country in the world that protects people's privacy more than the United States of America. And it's really hard to nail people down and follow them and trace their steps and everything with, with the, the, the strong protections that we have in ensuring people's 
personal privacy. So that that and that's a that's a wonderful thing on the one hand, but on the other, when you're trying to stop a, a pandemic, you 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 have very limited tools. And you, but you want good leadership, and that's something on a national level that sadly we don't have right now. You need, we need to be united as a country, united as a community, and completely on the same page to survive this. Amen. How about any, uh, any priorities statewide that maybe I forgot to ask you about that you'd like to uh, comment on? Well, right now, our statewide priority is, number one, uh, uh, COVID and dealing with COVID. Uh, number two is uh, how do we come out of COVID? And, and we're starting to talk about how to we recover from COVID, how, how, to, how do we restart the economy again? What do business people need to go back to business? What do employees need to go back to work? Uh, how, what do we do about this uh, situation in which uh, some people aren't paying their rent and some people aren't paying their mortgages and, and, and that could lead to a financial collapse of our country if this continues? Uh, at a greater length. And, and, and frankly, although we've been able to build a nest egg here in California through a budget reserve, we, we really don't have enough to solve all of the state's problems. And so we just don't have enough resources to help everyone that's in need. And we have to find the best way to use the limited funds that we have to make the biggest impact in our society to get people to back, go back to work. And of course, with 120 members and a governor, there's lots of different views on that and opinions, and we're gonna to have to come together and solve that problem, which, which is gonna really require a lot of work. And uh, final two questions. One, with the hardworking background that you have, the large family that you came from, you have four sons yourself, where in the world did you find time to learn to play the piano as beautifully as you do and to sing? Where does that come from, your musical background? Well, I came from growing up and, you know, my, my family, uh, my dad was also loved music. He had a very eclectic taste. He had his uh, uh, radio, his uh, record player, the big old huge consoles <laughs> that were very uh, common in the 60s and 70s. But he had, you know, I got growing up, I got to listen to Mariachi Vargas. I got to listen to Mozart. I got to listen to Franz Liszt and Nat King Cole and the Beatles. Uh, and Frank Sinatra, my father had a great, uh, an eclectic taste, and I kind of inherited that. And so um, I, he took me to the Del Mar Fair one time, and I saw a piano display, and I said, I'm going to play the piano. And that's where kind of that idea was born. And, and you know, playing the piano, I had a, a, a tough upbringing, and, and uh, uh, the piano helped me escape from sometimes the, the stresses of life and the sometimes uh, you go into depressions and sadness and feel different emotions growing up. And the piano was an escape for me. I couldn't wait to come home from school. Uh, I started playing the, the piano right, right around the age of uh, 12 or 13, around that age. And I couldn't wait to come home from work or from school and just play my piano and I would escape there. And the piano has opened up so many doors. Music has opened up so many doors. I got to meet so many incredible people, including Vicente Fernandez. And uh, he introduced me to his, uh, uh, his, his uh, producer. Together, we wrote the song Corrido de Hillary Clinton. We wrote the lyrics for that. 
<laughs> and and Vicente Fernandez got to sing them. And that was for me, you know, my dad was Vicente Fernandez's number one fan. And and I wish my dad would have been there to see me be part of that effort. And and he, you know, Vicente Fernandez came out in full force for Hillary Clinton and sang El Corrido de Hillary. And I was just so privileged to be invited to participate in drafting the the lyrics for that song. But it's it's opened up so many opportunities for me to perform on stage with, with big names like Tito Puente, Nairto, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, Laticano and Los Camperos and Mariachi Vargas. And it's just uh, just so many different artists that are, I'm, I'm huge fans of that I've been able to take the stage with and get to know and even go into my community for per performing church on Sundays at masses and funerals and weddings. It's just added so much uh, richness uh, to my life and so much joy. And, and it's, it's been wonderful to, to have music in my life. And I, I just love it. And unfortunately, my job takes me far away from that. But every chance I get, I, I jump on the piano and just uh, release and bent a little sometimes. There's a rumor that you might even be performing with Enrique Morones and, and the All-Star Band. I've heard that rumor out there. There's a lot of excitement, <laughs> but I don't know if it's true or not, but, but it's, it's a you know possibility. What, you know what it is? I, I think that's what the public is demanding, Enrique. They yes. want us together, and they're, they're saying that's what they want to hear. Uh, maybe we should uh, satisfy the public. <laughs> maybe so. This is the question that I've always asked uh, on the podcast, Buen Hombre, so I'll ask you. To Ben Wessel, what is love? Well, love is about giving, not about taking. Love is about uh, just completely uh, wanting to to give to something that is uh, that you see uh, worthy of your affection, and that would be your family, your community, your country, uh, everything that you love. It's about giving. Uh, you know, uh, like uh, John F. Kennedy said, don't ask what your country could do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I think that is uh, uh, in, in, the, in the area of what I'm talking about, love. When you're in a loving relationship with something, you're not interested about what you're gonna get, but more about what you're gonna give to a person whose life you want to enrich and improve. Very well said, and I agree with you. And of course we lost one of the greatest examples of love not too long ago, I know you're a fan of his too, uh, Representative John Lewis. And uh, he used to say something that I, I didn't realize he used to say it as well, but he's a lot older than I am. So he, he, he came up with it. That love is an action, not just the word. I've always said that, that love is an action. So what you do is an action. And uh, you're right, you know, giving, giving, yeah. not taking. So Ben, I love you, brother. Thank you for all the work that you've done and that you're going to continue to do. Let us know how we can support your efforts. We're going to be asking you for links so People could find out, maybe there's some young people out there that are interested in getting into politics, what you recommend they do, or pursuing uh, their interest in expanding their world vision, traveling to the Ukraine, those type of uh, unique opportunities are opportunities that oftentimes people don't, don't know that exist and that they can do it. Here's a person that grew up in, in Barrio Logan and Logan Heights, and, and now he's sitting in Sacramento in the Senate and more things to come. So Ben, thank you very much for all your work. Thank you for being on Buen Hombre. 
On behalf of Sarah Bella, our producer, and myself, Enrique Morones, muchísimas gracias. Adelante, y hay que votar el 3 de noviembre. We gotta get out there and vote. En la thank, you. Yes. And thank you for yes, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share my my story, my, my, my life, and make some comments and share them with your listeners. And thank you for what you're doing. I'm glad you're continuing to do this and, and still advocating for our immigrant community. You're the best known immigration advocate in our country. And what you have done for that community in elevating the, the debate to the national level has just been fantastic. And I'm just so proud to know you and know that you, you care so much about our immigrant community to dedicate your life to that. And just, uh, we're all very grateful to you. Well, thank you very much, my brother. Un fuerte abrazo. Dios te bendiga. And thank you all for tuning in to Buen Hombre every Tuesday. You can find it on the regular podcast services or on buenhombre.org. Ben, un fuerte abrazo and uh, wishing you the best. Stay safe. And I know you'll be making more positive news as you're bringing this to become a better world for all. Muchísimas gracias. Atendiendo, asistiendo a este, esta transmisión, les, les pido que se mantengan en buena salud y que cuiden a sus familias. Y si algo se les ofrece, cualquier cosa, por favor, llamen a mi oficina y estamos para servirles. One last message in Russian. How about some little message in Russian? Pasaste, Drog. Ya vas, Lulio. Pasiva. Passiva. Thank you very much. Gracias. Thank you. Tune in to Buen Hasta Hombre. We'll be back next Tuesday. Muchas gracias. Das Amor. Si se puede. Gracias. Das Enrique. Bye. <laughs>